Hello, I'm Marijke van der Meer. Welcome to Flatlanders, in which we profile the work and ideas of people in and from the Netherlands who are making an interesting contribution to our society. I try to find out what life is by just making new forms of life. As if I don't know anything, I just start to be God anew and try to find out the principles of life. Our guest today is Theo Janssen, kinetic sculptor, scientist and creator of a new species, beach animals. Well, in fact, what I'm doing is a sort of intelligent design. If a psychiatrist would uh, analyze me, I think he would come to the conclusion that I want to be immortal, to make life so after my death, these animals will still walk on the beaches. Theo Janssen has made it his lifelong work to create beach animals and to educate them to live on their own. Born in Janssen's lab on a sandy, windswept hill near Delft, the beach animals have attracted the attention of people around the world, from the New York Academy of Science to tourists on London's Trafalgar Square and Al Jazeera television viewers. The beach animals are large and beautiful contraptions made up of thin, hollow plastic tubes the color of bone. This makes the creature look like a giant insect skeleton the size of a dinosaur. And these intricate computer-generated constructions move by themselves through the help of wings and flaps that catch the wind. Well, there is one animal called the Animaus pesipiere primus, and it was the first of the pesipiere family the first animal which could walk on the wind stomach. And that's the spare wind they need in cases of emergency when the, the tide is coming up and the wind has gone away. They have still a little bit of energy in them to move towards the dunes and save their lives. And that principle is based on pressed air. So the, the wings move by the wind and they pump up air in soda bottles to high pressure and that's what they call the wind stomach. As soon as the wind comes out of the bottles again, it can move other pumps which push the animal forward. That's the principle of the Pesapier family. Ah, my goodness. It's moving. <laughs> Oh my goodness. What's the name of this animal? This is the Animaris Pesipiere Excelsus. Meaning what? Uh, the, the animal which the, the pesipiere means perception so it is able to feel the water and uh, excelsus is because it sticks out of the animals it's very high it's about four meters high 
So it actually feels the water. It's got the beginning of some kind of sensation. That's right, because uh, the water is very dangerous for them, so they must really turn the other way when they come into the water of the sea. So every time uh, they make a mistake, you adjust the design and then make them do other things to keep right. them away from danger. So they don't, they don't adjust themselves. You have to keep readjusting the design. Yes, yes. Uh, they don't find their own. They don't invent something themselves. Not now anymore. They, they used to do that in the computer. And I, uh -huh. of course, I, I would love them just to do their own thing and multiply on their own. But it's not that far yet. Why is that important to you to have them do it all on their own? It's uh, because I'm lazy. Just want to let them do it on their own. So we may may be developing a new uh, a new concept of creativeness and create creation here. Uh, God might be lazy. Yeah, he certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> Your dog doesn't like uh, Animaris uh, Well, Excelsior. it's quite used to it. There's, I think some other uh, forms of life are on the other side of the hill, <laughs> which she doesn't like. one of Teo Janssen's creatures in action on a windy beach is like watching a chorus line of giant toothpicks as big as a parade float tiptoeing in graceful unison across the sand. The animal appears to live and as Teo demonstrates in his DVD he has created many different species from the small caterpillar-like Spisa carta to the monstrous clanging metal Animaris rhinoceros transport. There have been many experiments. The knees of the Animaris vulgaris sagged a second after it was put on its feet. You could also say that the beast lived for just a second. Most species died out. For some, just parts are left over. A problem for beach animals is the dry sand. There's a chance that they'll get stuck in it. The Animaris speculata was a little beach animal which remained connected to its mother. It was used as a scout in the dry sand. When walking cost too much energy, the little animal would warn its mother, who was able to pull it out again. Theo Janssen was born in 1948, studied physics and took up painting. Scientists see his work as art, and artists see his work as science. Well, I think art and science are just institutes, and there are groups of people who decided to choose for a certain aspect of what I do or a lot of people do. And as soon as you work at an institute, then you become a scientist. And if you are accepted by the art world, then you become an artist. I just do what I do, and I don't think 
I want to make art or I don't, don't think I want to make science. I just do what I do. It's a little bit reminiscent of what happened in the Renaissance when uh, artists like Leonardo da Vinci mm -hmm. worked as much in scientific matters as he did in, in art. Mm -hmm. uh, are you consciously trying to bring art and science together or is this part of a, some kind of a Renaissance ideal on your part? Things from outside uh, influenced my decisions. I was studying in and uh, then in this hippie period, anything was possible. So I was painting already a lot while uh, studying physics, and then one day I decided, well, let's just paint. But you never really left science or engineering entirely, did you? You you made painting machines. You worked with you. You made a UFO. You made drills that that drew light patterns. Mm. Yes, well, that came later. And then in the beginning of the 80s, there was this idea of the, the UFO, this uh, flying saucer, which was quite big, about four meters. And it could really fly. It was had helium inside, and it just floated on the wind. And I launched it over the town of Delft, where it used to live then. And, uh, and there was really uh, some commotion in the streets of the police. And, um, and there was a, a film crew was... Uh, doing interviews in the streets and so and that was broadcast and uh, I was famous for a few months in Delft then and so and I tasted really something else than painting and that brought back to the, the whole physics part again. And uh, from the start you've been very interested in movement haven't mm -hmm. you? Locomotion. Mm -hmm. Yeah especially with the beach beast uh, then motion was the thing but I was very much inspired by a book of uh, Richard Dawkins The Blind Watchmaker so I was really looking uh, at the roots of life and then movement came out of that What was it in, in Dawkins book that uh, really inspired you? Well of course I understood more or less the evolution theory but reading this book with all these very clear examples uh, then I understood a lot more about how it all was possible. So th that was really a revelation to me about how the world could exist. And how did you then proceed from Richard Dawkins and his theories mm -hmm. to, uh, to your beach animals? Well, in this book he had a sort of computer program where he could create computer beasts with genes and he made himself a sort of selection of the ones who could reproduce and very fast he could create animals which were quite different and they could differ a lot in a short period. And I made a, also a computer worm but I, I didn't do the, uh, the selection myself, I did that the computer select. And then these worms became more or less intelligent. They became intelligent by themselves? Yes, in a way, of course, uh, the, well, they had a, a very, very simple program. Uh, the, there were 60 of these, well, just little stripes, lines on the screen, and they would move. And as soon as one of these stripes hit the side of another animal, then the other animal was down. So there was a certain selection by moving stripes on the, on the screen, and then 
it became spring on, on the screen, and then the, the animals could multiply. And they're quite simple. There were just four parts. Each part could either be uh, circled or straight, or circled the other way. And with a combination of circled and straight lines, you can have a variation of shapes. So when the spring came, then... The, the computer spring. The computer spring came. The, the, the parts, the segments of the animals were multiplied and reassembled to 60 new combinations. So you could see that as the children of that generation. And of course, uh, there were mutations in there, so they could make mistakes. And usually around 40 generations, the, the animal had rolled himself up and makes itself very small to avoid the others uh, around him. You could see that as a sort of very, very small intelligence. A, a kind of natural selection as well, right? That's right. It's just the way evolution works. I mean, natural selection and things find their own best way to survive. Is that the aspect of Darwin's theories that interests you the most, natural selection, or is it more comp the competition or the survival of the fittest mm -hmm. in the sense of the most appropriate? Mm -hmm. What aspects of Darwinism fascinate you the most? Well, I think the fact that the, the random things which happen in front of your nose while you're making things, uh, for instance, I uh, was making a spoiler for an animal because of the storms are always too heavy on the beach and the spoiler would push down the nose so they won't blow away and I put tape around that just to make something which catches the wind and then at random there was sand sticking to it because it was tape, and it became all sandy colored and you could say this is a sort of camouflage of the animals a mutation, uh, random. I didn't think of doing that. And the thing is, I want to forget everything I know about existing animals. But as if I don't know anything, I just start to be God anew and try to find out the principles of life. Uh, so I use the principle of reproduction. Uh, I reproduce them all the time. They don't reproduce themselves yet. And selection and uh, doing this, I f find the new ways. But I, I cannot always avoid the old ways. I mean, they walk on feet like we do, and well, feet seem to be the, the, the best way to move on, on the beach, better than wheels. So they have feet, but they don't, they don't have feet because animals have feet. The, the feet, they came about with a genetic algorithm. So the, the length of the tubes, which uh, determine the movement of the feet, that was due to the process of reproducing and selection. But that was a very long, complicated computer process, wasn't it? A necessary stage. Yes, uh, it took a couple of months. The c computer was working on it, and uh, day and night, and uh, there just came a combination of 11 numbers out of it, which are called the 11 holy numbers. And thanks to these numbers, the animals walked the way they walk. A combination of 11 numbers is hard to find. If the computer would do it mm. in a sequence, then it would take 100,000 years to get the right combination. And that's why you call this the 11 holy numbers. That's right, yes. because And they have been 
the same since about 14 years now. What does that tell you about, in, in real life, about sacred numbers like the golden mean? Mm -hmm. Well, you could see the 11 holy numbers as a, as a sort of sequence, which also a combination of genes. I mean, which it's a combination of genes which works, and lots of combinations of genes in our body works already for millions of years as well. So, in fact, we are looking for numbers. A problem for beach animals is the dry sand. Another problem was the wind. When storms came up the beach, the animals used special tools to prevent them blowing away. The Animaris Arena rolled out a trunk. At its end, a hammer tried to drive a pin into the ground, so that the beach animal was fixed. The Animaris Sabulosa had a more secure way to prevent blowing away. It had a spoiler on the front, which would push down the nose. What's the function of this hammer? Well, it drives a pin into the ground, so the nose is fixed and it, it won't blow away by the wind, so it has to wait until the storm is over and then it is pulled out again, and then it can walk again. So it can protect itself against the storm by anchoring itself into the sand, this, this. by hammering this, uh, this stake into the sand, amazing. That's right. <laughs> and when does the hammer start working then? Well, as soon as the, the, the wings move too fast, then it, then it noticed that it, uh, this, the, the wind is too strong and then they, they have a sort of step counter in them so they, they know where the sea is and when, where the, the dunes are and then they move towards the dunes and fix themselves. It's kind of a rudimentary nervous uh, sensory system, isn't it? Yes, it has a sort of brain. You could also see the, the step counter, you could also see as the, the, the imagination of the animal. It's a sort of mirror world in its own brains because it knows where the sea is and where the dunes are and just like we have a sort of mirror world, we can try things out. We don't have to, to experiment all the time physically, but just can do it, simulate in our brain. And this is the beginning of the brain, of the imagination of the, the beach animal. Now, you, you keep referring to your animals as its. Do you ever call them he's or she's? Uh, no, I call them all, all the time it. No, they're not feminine or male, not no, yet. No. Uh, this is a very interesting uh, design. It's quite beautiful. It's, uh, it's got a bleached uh, sandy color, the color of bone, and it looks very skeletal. It has how many feet? Uh, it has 24 feet. 24 feet, and, and it's got a superstructure. Uh, something if you sat down to design you might never think of. That's right, because well, design is usually thought of on tables, of drawing tables, and this is just uh, designed by experiment. And how do you explain that the movement is so beautiful? Well, the, the, the computer designed the movement of the, of the feet, so there was no human interference in... I didn't want to make beautiful movement, 
but uh, there was a criteria in the in the computer which tell that feet which stayed too long in the air they wouldn't survive so easy so it's why they move very fast to the ground again and I think real animals do the same so that might be a reason why they look more or less like real animal feet I think well making things which move themselves like a car or mm -hmm. then you come to a sort of universal autonomy of uh, objects I mean a car has also a stomach it's just it's the, the gas tank and it also has muscles just cylinders and pistons in there animals and and cars and beach animals uh, they move themselves according to this, the same universal laws of self-moving objects now creating an image of life or a parallel world is mm -hmm. something that artists have been doing for thousands mm -hmm. of years we do it in novels we do it in films mm -hmm. we we paint entire new worlds mm -hmm. why is that so interesting for you what are you trying to do well and and if a psychiatrist would uh, analyze me i think he would come to the conclusion that i want to be immortal and to live uh, to make life so after my death these animals will still walk on the beaches and so it's a way of a, a future surviving maybe and and you're a little bit like god aren't you yes i'm just his little help his helping hand what you do with making new forms of life is that you just like it was a crime you replay the the same circumstances and that's a way i try to get wiser from what really happened in the past in fact what i'm doing is a sort of intelligent design i mean i i'm the god and i cure all my animals all the time but uh, i don't believe that the real god does it in this way if he's there no <laughs> no well i, th the, I think the the evolution ID is is more sophisticated uh, while doing as I realize if the very simple principle could create such a diversity that's such an un, uh, unexplained miracle and that's uh, more beautiful than a god who who has to cure everything and to, to make things living all the time it just goes by itself and that's the miracle of it 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 seems to go by itself but you manipulate a lot don't you that's absolutely necessary isn't it when you select for example uh, -huh. uh from all the mm -hmm. tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of possibilities mm -hmm. then you do a random selection on your mm -hmm. computer or uh uh, you know, th th you are you are necessarily always manipulating, aren't you? You're interfering mm -hmm. somehow. Well, I do that, but uh, that doesn't mean that the the real God, if he's there, he does that. I don't know. He he do he doesn't do that. I think. You say you're you're trying to redo mm -hmm. uh, certain processes yeah. in nature, but how do you know you haven't done a Theo Janssen version of nature instead mm -hmm. of real nature? Well, I, th I think the, the the reproduction in the computer of the feet was something which was very impersonal. It was just done by criteria that they had to survive. Mm -hmm. And 
I think that's also the reason that it became so beautiful. I mean, if I had interfered, then you get a more human-like manipulated movement. In fact, I'm, I'm not really creative. The tubes, the, the conduits, they were creative. I mean, they, they played with me and they told me what to do with it. It's also why it becomes beautiful because I just didn't interfere. So I think making it functional is for me a sort of excuse not to make art and then it becomes art after all. How do you explain uh, the enthusiasm Mm -hmm. of people when they see your beach animals walking by themselves across the beach. I think it's very mythical to me as well. I'm very privileged to to be an an understood artist. And every time these images of of walking animals, they seem to work again. It has been all over the world now. I mean, people seem to recognize in them something, which I cannot explain. And... Have you at all changed your understanding of of God? When I ask you that question, I mean, considering your own relationship Mm -hmm. between, well, yourself as the artist Mm -hmm. creator and Mm -hmm. your creatures, Mm -hmm. have you learned anything about the possible relationship between God or a God or the gods Mm -hmm. and the creatures that we are? Well, there's a strange thing. I mean, while I work on these animals, I don't want to make something beautiful. I mean, and usually when it's finished, it doesn't function that well. But then I look what I've done, and and I'm intrigued by the beauty of the animals myself. I'm surprised. And so there is a sort of unconscious artist which makes these works of art, but it's very mythical. I mean... I cannot uh, explain why they become beautiful. When, uh, when they function mm-hmm. or don't function, what do you feel? Um, when they function, I, I'm very happy. So I'm really after function. It doesn't happen very many times. I mean, nine of the ten times they don't function. But once it functions, then you can use it like the 11 holy numbers. You can use it for years. And, and sometimes they die, don't they? Yeah, every animal has to die one day because uh, I don't want to repair all the time. And, and I really want to make new animals, not just repairing the old ones. So usually after a year, I declare them as died out and they become a fossil and I put them on the boneyard, which is a little bit further on this hill. And uh, and you could read there the development of the evolution of the beach animals, how they were constructed. And uh, uh, some animals are uh, buried uh, somewhere else, uh, at some public buildings which have animals in there. And uh, I'm dreaming of a moving exhibition where you could see the whole development of the animals uh, and the whole story. And and you would also you're also dreaming about a herd, aren't you? What are your future hopes for mm-hmm. your creatures? They're becoming really good now. Give me a, a few years here on this hill and work on this laboratory, and then I will move to the real beach, and then they're ready to live on there for maybe uh, some uh, weeks without interference of me, 
and I just watched them growing better and then I still have to, to do the finishing touch and uh, and so this will be the end of my life just watching the animals walk and, and uh, cure them as soon as they need me. Eventually these beasts are going to live in herds on the beaches. Theo Janssen is working hard on this evolution. This is the Animaris currens ventosa. Whilst walking, the animals gather sand in the end of their tails. When they reverse their direction, they stretch their tails and throw the sand down. So in the beginning there are just little heaps of sand, but after a few months or even years, the whole beach landscape may well have changed. According to Theo Janssen, these beasts could maintain the Dutch coastline against the rising sea level in the coming century. been listening to Flatlanders. Our guest this week was Dutch kinetic artist and scientist Theo Janssen. This is Marijke van der Meer. Thank you for joining us for this presentation from Radio Netherlands Worldwide.